Anytime you're creating these videos, there's only so much you can do to predict the outcome. And it's just wild. It's awesome. So that's why you just keep plugging away and keep doing them and hope that you get another viral video. Welcome back to another episode of Influencer Business, the playground for brands and creators. I'm your host, Austin Munhofen. Today, we're talking with Amy Rompo, an interiors, lifestyle, and DIY blogger and content creator, and part of Gush and Grow's talent roster. Amy joins us to share about the makeup of a compelling reel, her reel that went viral, what happened when she invested in and revamped her weekly newsletters, and why it's important to be nimble as a content creator. But before we begin, I want to tell you more about our season sponsor who makes bringing you awesome free content possible. CJ. CJ is the affiliate network of choice for influencers and content creators. Whether you're looking to earn long-term residual income from your favorite brands or you want more opportunities for sponsored content, CJ offers an easy-to-use supportive solution with both the tools and dedicated experts that help set you up for lasting success. I have personally used CJ before, and one of the best parts about CJ is all the data, the data that you have at your fingertips to help you plan and optimize your content based on what's performing well. And did you know you actually have access to the same data as the brands, which leads to better decisions and even stronger partnerships for everyone. So head over to cj.com slash trove to learn more. Without further ado, let's welcome Amy to the podcast. Welcome to Influencer Business. Amy, I'm so happy you are here. Yeah, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to chat with you. It's been a while. It's been a while because you mostly chat with our other talent manager at Gush and Grow, even though you are a Gush and Grow um, talent content creator, you're usually working with someone else. So it's a treat to see you and chat with you and, um, and record. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So... Today, there, I mean, there are a whole host of questions that I want to ask you, but always want to start out with background. I think it's so interesting. Content creators come from all different kinds of backgrounds. And there's a point at which they realize, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to leave what I've done for a while and I'm going to pursue content creation full time. Anyway, I talk about your background a little bit before you started the Coastal Oak. Yeah, so I was previously a nurse. Um, I was a nurse manager, and so I had a very long week every week as a nurse. Um, I worked at an infusion clinic, and we did daily IV therapy for patients, um, and then I traveled as well. We had several different clinics in the Southeast, and so I kind of went to the different clinics and helped educate those nurses in those clinics to kind of adapt to our policies. So um, that was kind of my background. I always loved home decor. I always loved doing projects and, you know, watching HGTV and flipping like rooms in our home. And so I went from nursing straight into home decor. So when you were a nurse, was this, did you start that career path before you had your first kiddo? I did. I was a nurse for two years before I had my first child. Um, I started working, I went back to nursing school when Scott and I were first dating, my husband, Scott, and um, 
I went back to nursing school and then we got married while I was in nursing school. And then we had our first baby a few years later. So how long were you, um, were you a nurse before you made the, the, the transition, before you exited that field? Um, so I would say, gosh, as far as a year, it was 2017 when I really started scaling back from nursing. I had my first child in 2014. And from 2014 to 2017, so for about three years, I was kind of just taking fun pictures of home decor while I was working as a nurse. Um, like if I worked on something in the garden that weekend, I would kind of just take a couple pictures and just post it on my Instagram. Um, but then I started scaling back in 2017. I'd left my management position and just worked as a floor nurse and worked part-time PRN while I was pregnant with my third child. And then when I had my third child, I decided it was time to really be at home <laughs> with the three kids. So you had started the Coastal Oak while you were still practicing and as a, a kind of creative outlet. Yes, correct. It was just a way for me to just be creative outside of work um, and share kind of the things that I loved to do. I wasn't focused on follower count. I wasn't focused on, you know, building a brand for myself or anything. It was just simply like, oh, a pretty picture. I'm going to post that. There was like no goal in mind. So when when did that change? When when Did you have a moment where you were like, oh, I guess people are really interested in this and I'm, I'm getting more people demanding and consuming my content. Um, I think I should change the way I think about this. Yeah. So once I started seeing, once I started doing projects kind of more start to finish or like DIY projects and sharing them, I think it's when Instagram stories really came along and people were really following stories and interacting um, and like, hey, can you share a link to this? At the time, I didn't have the capability to link anything, but you know, it was like, oh yeah, I got this from Lowe's. And then it's like, okay, maybe I should start putting this on my blog, which at the time my blog was just non-existent. It was just like bullet points. Um, and it was just like, okay, this is what I did. And, and so once I started realizing that people were interested, I started putting a little bit more thought into it, started thinking a little bit more into like, okay, maybe I need to plan this out because I was all over the place. Just like, okay, this is what I'm doing today. And so that's kind of how it developed. And then I started flipping a few pieces of furniture and that really like people were really interested in that. And so I was like, okay, we got to really narrow this down and give them information. Was it, well, first of all, what does flipping furniture mean to those who may not be familiar <laughs> with that term? Basically taking something that's not pretty and making it pretty or like giving it new life. So just seeing value in something when you're out and about like at thrift stores or on Facebook marketplace and, and, either sanding it, bleaching it, painting it, just flipping it and giving it a new, kind of like people flip homes, you flip furniture. Got it. What do you do with all this flipped furniture? Um, in the beginning, I was trying to only use it in my home and find new spaces for it. I started, once I once I would flip it, once I would tell the story of it and I got tired of it. I, I mean, we only have so much room in our home 
I would sell it on Facebook Marketplace or to friends or give it away um, so that I could start a new piece. So it's really about the process for you. It's not necessarily, sounds like it's always about keeping the thing. Yeah, that's and that's been kind of hard for me because I do develop a little bit of like an emotional attachment to these pieces when I flip them. But um, I don't have space. Like we don't have a storage unit. I can't keep them. So it's all about like start to finish. Yeah, well, and it's part of, you know, entertaining and creating and inspiring people because you're taking them along on on your process. Okay, let me tell you a funny story. So when we were looking at houses and we looked at this house, the, the house that our family is currently in, um, it was owned by a family and the the wife, the woman was an artist and she was an artist. She was a collector. Needless to say, the house itself was every nook and cranny was filled, was had something in it. It was, you couldn't really see bare wall very much unless you looked kind of up. And then we get to the garage and I opened the garage door and it was chock full of furniture. Like just, I, I can't- It sounds like even, a dream. <laughs> <laughs> to you, it probably is yeah. a dream. To me, I'm thinking, like I was almost speechless. We, we, the inspector could not even inspect the garage because it had too much stuff in it. So anyway, when I think about people flipping furniture and holding on to it, I'm just imagining oh, yeah. that scenario. And I'm just so glad that even though it's difficult for you to part with it, you are able to part with it because <laughs> yeah. or else you would end up with a garage that's, you know, bottom to top kind of, Absolutely. I guess, orders looking style. It's so funny now because I feel like I've this connection with my followers that when they see me pick up something, like I already get messages and they're like, can I, can I call dibs on that when you're done? <laughs> it's like, so I've created this like shop without a shop kind of thing. That's so funny. So is that how you end up selling your pieces? I mean, lately anymore, I just say, I don't even have to say anything for some of them, but some of them, yeah, I'll just say, okay, I'm moving on. And I hate to do that sometimes because my followers, I feel like they have an emotional attachment to some of the pieces as well. And sometimes I do get a lot of messages like, wait, what? You just did that. You just changed that room. Like, why are you going to do this? Like, don't do that. But it is what it is. That's so funny. What would you say was the either the most contentious piece that you flipped or the one that was in highest demand? Oh boy. I think people were really the most wowed by bleaching that cedar chest because it went from red or pink to like white. And a lot, a lot of people have that cedar, um, was it Lane Hope chest? from their mom, their grandparents. A lot of people have that in their homes. So I feel like it was like a very, like they, they were like, wow, I didn't even think that that could be done because most people think they can just paint something or just need to paint something. And what did you do to it? Um, I used a two-part wood bleach and took it just from like red to like a, it's cedar. So cedar's red, right? And I took it from like red to like a white oak kind of color to just give it that, because a lot of coastal homes have like driftwood colors and lighter wood colors and like white oak is in. And um, so people are always looking for ways to just take it from like dark to light. 
So how many, like, what do you, do you sand it like a bazillion times? How, <laughs> how much work is it to actually go from a dark color like that to white? It just depends on the piece, honestly. And for like that piece of furniture, I used chemicals to get it to where it was at. I did lightly sand it a little bit, but that was like a chemical piece. But sometimes it takes like a pack, a, like a hundred pack of sandpaper to get through some of the finish on some of these pieces. It's a lot of work. It looks like a lot of work. It's not, DIY is not for everyone. You truly have to have a passion for it because it is a lot of work. And when I think about how much time and energy is spent doing what you do, comparing that to how quickly the content is consumed. Yeah. To me, I'm thinking, gosh, that as a creator, that could probably feel really defeating. It is. It, 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 that is something that has been really hard in this journey um, because we're taking projects that take weeks. Like, for example, me as a mom at home with kids, I'm only working during nap times and after the kids go to bed. So you only get like an hour here, an hour there. So it can add up and take weeks to finish, for me, months sometimes. And then you put it into a 60-second or 30-second clip and it's like here you go. It's done, you know, and you're just like, okay. And then, so you're moving on to the next thing. And it's hard as a creator because you want to always have content, but it's very hard to always have content when something takes that long, start to finish. Absolutely. And can we also talk about what it's like to sometimes redo projects too? Because I've seen you, (laughs) I remember when you did the stamping and the ship stamp, you know, like that yep. boat stamp uh, that was in Theo, your son's room. Is that right? Yes. Yep. And you get, if, if I'm remembering correctly, like you're stamping the entire wall by hand, right? And it's not a big stamp. Like it's maybe the size of your hand, maybe a little bit smaller. And you start doing the rows of, you're doing, you know, yep. rows all the way up vertically of this boat. And then you get to a point where you decide, you know what, I'm just going to freehand it. Like I'm going to stop being so precise and measuring this out. I'm going to freehand it. And you take a step back and you're like, wow, that didn't go as well as I had thought. I might need to redo this. And you painted the wall and started all over. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of like, when you include your followers in a process, you have a little bit extra like willpower or you're like to finish a project. So you're taking your followers along with you. So you don't want to quit when it doesn't work out. You want to really like, see it start to finish. But that's also kind of just part of my personality. Like I'm determined, I'm going to finish it. Um, it's just like a piece of furniture I'm working on right now. I, it, it, I totally ruined it yesterday and I have been sharing it with my followers this entire time. And they want to know like, what, what, what's the status? How does it look? Well, it it was a total flop last night. And so now I have to redo it. (laughs) finish it because I'm like, I'm going to do this. You're like, it's not looking good. (laughs) It's not looking good. Yeah. I guess that is actually a difference between DIY content creator accounts versus some other creator accounts where you're actually um, taking your your followers along through the process of the thing versus just the end product. You're showing the end product. 
And now I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned clips, like how you're just showing a 30 second clip of something that took, you know, 30 plus man hours. On the note of clips and reels and video and all that stuff, you had a reel that went viral. Yeah. Can you talk about that reel? Yeah. So um, anytime you're creating these these videos or doing content creation, there's only so much you can do to predict the outcome. And it's like you can spend hours on something and it will only get a few views. But you can do something that takes like two seconds and it will have millions of views. And, and it's just wild. There's very little... <laughs> Like, it's really hard to predict, um, but it's awesome. So that's why you just keep plugging away and keep doing them and hope that you get another viral video. What was your viral video about? I mean, I know what it's about, but tell our <laughs> listeners the, the video that got, I think, what, nearly 2 million views at this yeah, point? Yeah, it's just a, how to hang a hand towel and to keep it from falling off of the ring. <laughs> There you go. I mean, so random. It took less than 10 minutes for me to video it. It was a spur of the moment. It was just like, oh, I need to share how I do this. I was in the bathroom, like drying my hands. And I'm like, oh, people might learn something from this. And so I just set the camera up on a shelf and videoed myself (laughs) tying it on and then edited it and posted it. There was no do I need to post it now? Do I need to post it later? Do I need like all of the things we think about when we're doing it? It was just a random, let's post it. Spur of the moment. And it worked out fabulously. Yeah. But something I think you're really good at, and I don't know if you know exactly how good you are at it, is um, reels, telling a story with reels. You, I think, are very talented at the whole thing in terms of the song choice, the editing, just taking a story or a moment and condensing it down and making sure you're grabbing all the right parts, the right takeaways and layering that, what it, whatever it is, trending sound or any, even if it's not trending sound, music, whatever. I think you're great at it. Thank you. So I think the most important things to think of when you're doing a reel or you're, when you're doing anything, but when you're doing these reels is attention grabbing, like you have a few seconds to grab somebody's attention. And if you grab someone's attention, they're more likely going to watch the entire video. Um, And then you also, there's a lot of research that goes into it, but if you're following trends, if you, if you watch what other people are doing in reels, um, they will be using like popular songs And it's taking like those songs and those trends and kind of adapting them to your niche or like what you're doing. You're going to have a better chance of like your reels performing well and being shown to more people. But I think the biggest thing is, is attention grabbing and then emotional attachment. So like creating some sort of emotion in it and having people like have aha moments or, um, Oh, that's really cool. Like, how does that end? You like, you just, it's like, you got to create interest. That's a good point. 
we have something so exciting to share with you. Gush and Grow, who are partners of Trove, are coming out with a course, a course for influencers and content creators, all about how to land paid brand collaborations and partnerships, how to land those with authenticity, with integrity, with confidence, and do it effectively. The thing that lights us up the most at Gush and Grow is helping our clients' dreams come true as solopreneurs. And oftentimes that includes partnering with their dream brands. So we've turned our most popular workshop into a course, making it widely available so that you can land your ideal paid brand collabs and partnerships. It is the most comprehensive course we've created for the best value. And if this is of interest to you, highly, highly encourage you to go to gushandgrow.com slash courses to get on the list. Okay, so we talked about uh, the, the reel that went viral. What, what kind of, what did you, what response did you see on your end in terms of your account? Did you have this inflection of followers kind of overnight because of it? Yeah. So anytime that your video, I've found anytime that a video goes over, I would say a hundred thousand views or higher, but definitely a real, like a viral reel. Um, I mean, I gained probably like 10,000 followers within 24 hours. It's, it's very quick, very quick growth. Um, Wow. Do you start to see that drop off of people who do the impulse tap to follow. And then over time, they're like, oh, maybe, maybe I did that a little bit too. Maybe I was trigger happy. So sometimes, um, and, and it's kind of like a double-edged sword. So sometimes these viral things are great. These trends are great. Like getting these quick follows from the videos, like it does put your content out in front of a lot more people. However, you're not always getting the best followers from them because they're not exactly following you for what you're putting out there. They're just following you for that one viral video. And then the rest of your content might not really like resonate with them. And so while it's great to have those occasionally, I feel better having the videos that are in the 100,000 views, the 200,000 views that are people are talking on and engaging on and asking questions about those actual videos. And they're not just like, Oh, cool. You know, it's, it's a different thing. So it's, it's, it's good. It's nice to have the boost, but it's not always the best. Yeah. I'm glad that you pointed it out because I think it's easy to get attached to this huge influx of followers and, and not think about the quality of those people. And ultimately what you want as a content creator and what also brands want to see is that your audience is engaging with Mm -hmm. your content. And so that comes down to also like quality of followers, I I think includes people who are actually interested, like you said, in consuming the kind of content that you're putting out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they figure that out and leave. And then sometimes they just like stay and hang around and don't participate. And And those are the worst. (laughs) Right. They're like kind of the the dust bunnies you want to get rid of. Yep. As kindly as possible, (laughs) of course. So... We, we talked about reels, which probably that viral one, I imagine, was a kind of inflection point along your content creation journey. Maybe, maybe not. But what are some other 
standout moments that were either pivotal in your growth or just where you gained this perspective and clarity that allowed you to like move forward in a more confident way or with a clear vision or purpose. Can you talk just about those really standout moments? Yeah. So I think a few standout moments for me are, have been working with specific brands or brands wanting to work with me and seeing value in me um, because it made me want to give them value as well and take and be very like, I don't know if responsible is the right word, um, give them great content uh, because they see value in me. So that's one of the things, but then also just having followers send me messages saying like they flipped a piece that that because I did something, they did something and how um, like I empowered them to do it essentially, or like gave them the nudge. So just positive feedback from followers. And then honestly, over time, having steady income coming in from what I'm putting out there has really made me want I mean, anytime you get a source of income, you want to do more, but it also has allowed me to create more and do more projects and build more on my brand. Um, So those have been kind of some big moments. It was earlier this year where so many content creators saw a huge tank with their performance and Instagram. I mean, we have a, you know, group message thread with our content creators and everybody was posting, gosh, my my engagement rate is like cut by 75%. It was, it was huge. It was huge. Something tanked and maybe Instagram was up to something. And I'm not personally a believer in relying on the algorithm because I think that's dangerous for a lot of different reasons. But I remember you and I had a conversation and we, this was kind of an, a, a big moment to think, well, what are the other areas of your business that this is teaching us or allowing us to work on? And one of those was the newsletter. You Mm -hmm. had a newsletter, I think that was pretty outdated. Can I just go ahead and say it? Pretty much non-existent. (laughs) Non-existent, outdated. And we took a step back and we talked about, well, how, what are the opportunities with this? How, what would excite people to sign up and actually open this in your inbox and engage with it? And how do you reach the people you want to reach when you can't do it on a social platform because of the algorithm or whatever, which we shouldn't be relying on? And it taught us, I think, so many lessons, but well, one of them too was the value of having a a list, an email list. And uh, this is something that I think, I imagine you knew ahead of time, but it it almost felt like it had to take that moment for your account performance to tank in that way mm-hmm. for you to lean into that and build it up into what I think is a fabulous piece of weekly content now. Yeah, so just like you said, you know, when Instagram, when the numbers dropped, I think a lot of, us felt a little bit of insecurity and, you know, we were plugging away and everything was in like the Instagram basket, I should say. Like that's where all of my effort was. 
Um, but I had this blog, it has some traffic, you know, like it, it wasn't like the best. It was kind of like a DIY, I DIY'd my blog, but it had a sign up. Um, so for anyone that wanted to sign up to follow me for updates, they could sign up. Well, I never like designed or did anything to that. And so basically it was just like people signed up and I wasn't doing anything with it. Um, and I started realizing what a great tool that newsletter could be to deliver my content to my audience that might miss out on things, might not see things, um, to just kind of recap every week. Like, this is kind of what we've been working on. Like, if you weren't, you know, if someone wasn't on Instagram and didn't see the stories or see the posts, like, I could add it there. Um, But it also lit a fire under me to get on my blog and do a lot more work on it as well so that all of this content lives elsewhere as well. So just basically diversifying. Um, But yeah, I've seen, I mean, just sending that newsletter out, it has created another community and another resource and people can click on everything and head over to my blog. And it's just a lot more user-friendly. Have you found that people are more engaged, that you have more income coming in, that you have more brand partnership opportunities? What maybe are some specifics, uh, numbers or not, that you've seen from from revamping that? Yeah, so I've seen an increase in my like to know it or reward style, my um, shopping like my, my mood boards, I've seen an increase in that because I include a few of my favorite sales or my best sellers from the week. And it's just kind of a reminder and it's an easy click over for followers. But, um, I've also seen an increase or an uptick, an uptick in my traffic on the blog because it sends more people over to read the posts versus like just coming from Pinterest or, um, Google. Um, they're actually coming from my follower list and brands, I mean, an increase in traffic, brands are more interested in your blog. And I'm almost at a threshold now where I can apply for a new ad service So because I have a higher traffic on the blog so I can have better ads and better income coming from that side. I, I think a really important thing to note is when you started investing in your newsletter and investing in the design, the quality of the content, the consistency of putting it out, your newsletter subscription, and you don't have to give uh, specific numbers, but grew by like almost tenfold, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. Yes. Yeah. It's, and it's always comforting to see those results because it's kind of, you have to invest in what you're doing. Um, but up until this point, I haven't felt very comfortable investing in what I'm doing without seeing that source of income. But now that we're seeing the source of income, we're like, okay, this is attainable. Let's do this. Let's invest in these things. So that Yeah, because you get it, you, you see the return. You're yeah. starting to see the, the return and it's exciting. Yes. So talk, since we're on uh, platforms here, talk more about Pinterest. I think Pinterest is one that is overlooked for some mm-hmm. content creator content creators and is probably honestly more important for DIY, home decor, those kinds of accounts versus maybe some other ones for different reasons. Um, just like YouTube. YouTube is a great a great channel for beauty space, uh, um, automotive space. And Kelly, 
Kelly Stumpy was on. She was the car mom and she was talking about YouTube and how it is such an important piece of, of diversifying her content in terms of basically supporting her account. The mm-hmm. monetization is really fabulous for her on YouTube because she's in the auto space and her the rate of return on that is higher than in other areas. So anyway, talk about Pinterest and the value that you've seen in Pinterest and how you nurture that or maybe don't. Maybe that's another avenue, the avenue you're going to work on next. Yeah, yeah. So Pinterest is on my mind. It's something I try to work with every now and then, but it's not like, it hasn't been at the top of my priority list, but it is headed there. So Pinterest is a great resource for driving traffic to your blog. So there are several ways if you're frequently pinning your content from your blog over to Pinterest, then it's going to create traffic um, and send people over to your blog. However, Pinterest has recently changed. <laughs> so much like every social media app out there, it's constantly changing. So they have introduced story pins, which are very similar to reels and videos in um, Instagram and so or stories in Instagram. And so at the moment, and don't quote me on this, you can't link in the story pins. So essentially it's just another way to be discovered for, you know, people repinning it. Um, but it's not going to drive traffic to your site. So much to learn when everything, when something changes, you got, traffic. yeah, you have to recalibrate. Yeah. Um, I was talking, I think, on the podcast with Ashley Brooke Chambers of Ashley Brooke Designs, and she was saying how she she every time a new thing comes out, like even a new feature, not not a new social platform, but a new feature comes out, she has this moment of like, no, something new that I have to learn. Um, in a way, that's not. I mean, she is definitely incredibly smart and capable. And it wasn't about learning a new thing, but more about, oh, just when I got the hang of my process for creating content for this kind of feature, such and such platforms got to go and change the thing. Mm -hmm. And I got to get comfortable with a new avenue. Yeah. It's, you just always have to be prepared um, to just evolve and change your strategy. And um, I used to get super frustrated by it. I still kind of get like, seriously, here we go again. But I have found essentially like with reels, if you don't adapt, you're going to get left behind. So you just got to keep plugging away and run with it. I think you're so great at that too. I think it's probably, if I had to imagine part of your personality and doing the the DIY and flipping furniture and how you're just resilient and persistent with a piece of furniture. And in a very similar way, I could see how you take that into your business and how even with the newsletter example, like you were all in. It was a process, but you had a vision. I think you knew what you wanted once you had the time and the space and the focus and the impetus to turn your time over there and you did it. And so I, I just think that's a really great example of that. And you didn't get defeated or worn out. You went for it. And I guess that's what you'll be doing next with Pinterest. <laughs> yeah. 
Learning to adapt. <laughs> Learning to adapt. Let's go on to something that I'm curious about, which is what's the question that you get asked most often from your followers? Um, so from my followers who are looking to like grow as influencers or from my followers that are like just asking me questions. <laughs> One of the biggest things that you can do in this industry and, and if you're interested is just collaborating with other like-minded individuals, just like you would in any business. Um, you know, there's different like forums, there's different place spaces on like Facebook, there's Facebook groups, um, just basically other like-minded individuals that have the same goals and same interests and bouncing ideas off of each other. Because if you're trying to figure out everything on your own, you're not going to find the answers like, and, and you're not going to find them out quickly either. Like, you know, or like when, in, when our engagement and everything dropped, it was comforting to know that like everybody else was experiencing the same thing. You know, there's, we have these groups where we're, or these group texts where we're like, Hey, is Instagram down tonight or what's going on? What's this new feature? You know, so it's kind of like de developing those relationships. Um, and then I get a lot of questions as far as like questions you've asked, you know, like where do you invest your money to grow or like wh how, what apps are you using? Like what, how do you make your mood boards? Who's your host for your website? You know, there's a lot of questions on that side because they see you grow and they, and, and they want to do that. And that's one thing that's really important to me because I was always scared to ask those questions to people who were already in that position. But everybody, everybody I've encountered is so willing to give you that information. Sometimes we're really busy and we can't, but, um, you know, it's not like it's a secret. Right. So what advice would you give to someone who is really wanting to start out, but is not quite sure how to? Yeah, just um, I think the first thing to do would be to definitely like look within and figure out like what are your goals? Like what do you want to come of this? Do you want it to be a hobby? Are you trying to make this a business? Um, do you want to give tutorials? If you're like someone like me, like I wish I could look at old Amy and tell old Amy to go back and to have started with the blog and really like had that like locked in before I did the whole social media side of things, because now I'm kind of backtracking. Um, but it's, you just got to kind of ride the wave too. But I would say like, look within, figure out what your goals are, what direction you want to head. And um, I'm the worst one to say this, but sometimes you got to like focus in on your niche. But I do share a variety of things. So, <laughs> Well, I will say, you are like most content creators where you have like your primary area of influence and then you have secondary and tertiary, like those supporting areas of influence that are still part of you and your content. They're just maybe not as quote loud yeah. or, yeah. you know, shared most often, but they're still there. Yeah. And that's something I think that's important for people who are starting out. Also, um, for me, myself, if I had just focused on one single thing and didn't share anything else, anything about us, our, my kids, my life, then I would have burned out a long time ago. Like I, it's, it just, I've, I've figured that out. I've tried it. I've tried to just stick to one single thing 
and it just didn't interest me. And I lost like my drive to do it. So I think it's just determining, like, do you want to do that? Or do you want to just share everything? How do you get your drive back or your motivation back or your creativity back when you're going through a slump? Um, For me, the biggest thing I do is disconnect. Stop following other people. Like that's huge for me because the comparison game in this world, in this like industry is huge. So I have to stop looking at other accounts and how successful they are or like how, what their engagement looks like and everything. So turning that noise off and then for me, going to a thrift store, (laughs) I go walk around a thrift store and then I start feeling that energy come back and I start getting more ideas. Um, But yeah, for me, the biggest thing is just stepping back getting disconnected so that you can become connected with something else. (laughs) Essentially. I can always tell like when I'm starting to feel burnout or feel, and that's one of the the hardest parts of this job is you feel like you can't step away. You can't disconnect or you're punished, you know, like, but learning that it's okay to just disconnect and not follow everybody else will definitely help. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about this. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but With a newsletter and a blog and investing in that space that you actually own and have more control over than, you know, the social apps Mm -hmm. allows you to step back without as much implications or negative consequences had you not built that newsletter or that site. Yeah. If you relied solely on social. Yeah. If you step back from something that demands, you know, 24-7 attention, mostly I'll say, then um, you're you're going to have a much greater impact than if you have something that you own, that you nurture. Yep. The other thing I want to point out is that people, I, I think we have a tendency to think that people are watching and listening to us 24-7 and attached and consuming every piece of content that we put out when it comes to being on social. And the other part that I like about the website is you're reaching people who maybe are more in tune with their email than their Instagram or who go off a week or two because they're not as attached to social apps as some of the rest of us are. And then they see you pop in their inbox. Yeah, I agree. And and then another side of that is that the blog or your website is evergreen. So it's evergreen content that's going to live there. And it may not perform as well right this minute or right this in the first month or two months or even in the first year. But next year, for example, like putting out fall content or putting out Christmas content or other things, next year when people are searching, then you might rank at the top of Google and have this steady income coming from your page views and your traffic. And then, like you said, with your email, because Instagram and social media, and when you put things out there and those videos out there, it's short-lived. Like there's no evergreen side of it. So it's not going to be like a long duration thing. It's very short-lived. Looking at having a balance, I think is really healthy. And the, the long tail pieces of content, like you're mentioning, can have 
impacts for you know years to come, as you mentioned, and maybe even some a post is more successful in year three than it was in year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of the nature of this sometimes. And I will say that with reels, it's reels have a little bit more of an evergreen content as well because they. They may not, and and it's normal, like for them to not take off right away and you don't have that many views, but then um, two weeks later, a month later, you can get this influx of views because it just gets pushed out again. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Are you ready for the rapid fire portion? Yes. Favorite smell? Gardenia. Most used app on your phone? Is that social media or... Anything. Whatever. Whatever. I'm going to go with notes. Okay. What do you use notes for? I never use notes, but I know there are people who really use it. Oh, yeah. I write everything and anything that pops into my brain into notes or I voice it into my notes because I'm going to forget it. Like, it's like a, (laughs) it's how I jot my notes down. Last Google search. How to turn off the notifications on the computer, the the sound. (laughs) So we could do this. So we could record? Is that why you looked it up? (laughs) Yep. And they were driving me crazy. One accomplishment you're proud of from the last two months? Um, Seeing the backyard paver process come to life because I paid for that out of pocket from my income from the blog. So like seeing that I did something like all alone, like was pretty awesome. That's a big project. It was. And it's not done. (laughs) And it's not done. Dream partnership. Oh, I'm going to go with being in a publication like Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Or just them even knowing I exist. (laughs) The print or the digital version? The print. Print. I mean, I think both. Yeah. Yeah, either one. Yeah. You know, like an actual magazine spread. I think for a blogger or an influence or like a home decor kind of person, just a magazine spread or being featured in one of their like things is like a big kind of a pat on your shoulder, back, whatever it is. What are you most excited about in this industry or your future? Um, I'm actually starting to see that like some of my dreams can come true as far as I want to invest in a few properties and have um, kind of like have Airbnb or rentals or vacation properties eventually. Um, And just, just seeing that like we're starting to do these projects and the big home renovations that take a lot of money and I'm able to fund that. And so it seems attainable that we're going to be able to purchase maybe a property in the distant future. <laughs> Where would the property be? I think it depends. It de- I have a thing for quaint little towns that are kind of more like a vacation spaces. Charleston's a tough one because Charleston is just very saturated, but um, some little places, maybe like Southport, North Carolina or, Beaufort, South Carolina, mountain, like a little town in the mountains. Maybe one day just a, a constellation of all these little places you can have a yeah. rental property in there. Wouldn't that be I nice? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and chatting with us. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks, Austin. 
A huge thank you to Amy for joining us today. A few takeaways that I have from this conversation. The first is around quick growth. Viral reels on Instagram can lead to quick growth for your account, but not always with the quality, highly engaged followers that you want. Something to be very mindful of. The second thing is that you have to be prepared to change your strategy. When new features that are crucial to your business and marketing your business come down the pipeline, if you don't adapt, you're going to be left behind. That doesn't mean you have to jump on the train with every new platform that comes your way, but be strategic, be mindful, and be open to embracing and trying out change. The third is newsletters. The value of being able to reach your audience outside of social and direct them to a platform that you own is huge. Remember, social platforms are borrowed land. Your website and the email list that you collect is your own. So, hey, did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please leave us a five-star review We would so appreciate it and it helps us bring you even more awesome free content. Also, we want to give a big shout out to Pete Crimmy and the team over at Sound Lounge who always makes us sound better than we are. We hope you like what you heard. We hope you have a great day and we will see you next time on Influencer Business. 